Okay, so you're here for some great church leadership content. The podcast is great, but there's also another piece of content you need to be enjoying each week. It is the Leading Saints email newsletter. Now I get it. Email newsletters feel so 2006, you know? But it isn't as old-fashioned as you might think. It's actually one of the most popular pieces of content that Leading Saints produces. Each week, I share a unique leadership thought that can only be found in the newsletter. I keep it short and sweet. Most can read it in less than five minutes. And then we share with you recent content you might have missed, throwback episodes, and Leading Saints events that happen more often than you might anticipate. If you want to make sure you are on the email list, simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. That will also get you 14 days access to our full library of content not available to the general public. So look for Leading Saints in your inbox by going to leadingsaints.org 14 or click the link in the show notes. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Frankham again. I feel like you hear my voice a lot on the intro, now the secondary intro, then on the episode you're going to hear my voice again. Maybe I need to uh, find somebody with a, with a really cool accent out there. Shout out to my UK saints. Uh, if you if anybody's out there wants to do some reading so that we maybe mix up the voice here, or maybe you just love my voice. I mean, I know my wife does, I think. Anyways, hey, I'm excited for you to jump into this episode. I had the opportunity to interview Tyler Lefevre and Sam Skidmore about some research that they've done at Utah State University. Tyler and Sam are both uh, former Latter-day Saints who have since left the church. They are both gay individuals and are, I don't know the right way to say is pursuing that lifestyle, right? There's so much, man, am I saying this right? But nonetheless, I'm trying and, and uh, obviously they know where my heart is. But this is a was a fascinating discussion. You know, obviously, well, rarely do we have non-Latter-day Saints on the podcast, uh, obviously, since we're very Latter-day Saint focused. But Even more rarely do we have two former Latter-day Saints who have left the church on the podcast. But aside from the content that we talk about and the important topics we we cover, I hope that this can be an example to you of how to have just an open, honest, real conversation with individuals who've maybe stepped away from the church. And I can really see that any leader in the world who has, for example, LGBTQ former Latter-day Saints can still reach out and just say, hey, what do you want? How can I serve you? Do you want me in your life? Do you want me to stay away? Uh, do you want me to invite you to the 4th of July breakfast? Right? So there's all these things, approaches. I know it's easier to just stay away and not engage in what could be a very awkward conversation, but hopefully this uh, conversation is an example there. And it's not like at the end they commit to being rebaptized again or anything. That obviously was not the goal, but I just had such a, a sweet conversation with these two. And I'm so grateful for the research they're doing. I mean, to see two individuals who have maybe can convince themselves of every reason to be angry at the church or not to help the church, but to still be engaged in our faith community and helping us through research and the research that they've provided to help leaders better help LGBTQ Latter-day Saints as they're coming out or going through that journey, which usually ends up through the the bishop's office or the elders quorum uh, interview or whatever it is. I really appreciate this interview. I'll give you some more resources and links at the end to make sure that you can jump into this and understand the best you can as far as the research goes. So here is my interview with Tyler Lefevre and Sam Skidmore. (music) 
Today, I'm sitting down with Tyler Lefevre and Sam Skidmore. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Tyler, welcome. Thanks, Kurt. Awesome. And we're in Centerville, where uh, where Tyler lives, And but you both work, and Sam, you live in Logan, right? Yes. All right, and that's home of Utah State University graduate student, Sam? Yeah, so third year PhD student nice. in Tyler's lab. Awesome. So are you going to teach or what are you going to do with a PhD? That's a great question. Just have people call you doctor. <laughs> yeah, right? that's, that's the only reason I'm doing it. Nice. No, I, I think teaching is the route. I'll do some research and then maybe like be a therapist. So okay. see clients. So what, uh, what are you getting your PhD in? It's clinical and counseling psychology. Wow. So it's a lot of research and then also the focus on seeing students, just kind of helping out with yeah. mental health things. So you will be a psychologist at the end of this? Mm-hmm. Is that the idea? Okay. Yeah. And Tyler, you work there. You yeah. you have a PhD? I have a PhD. I am nice. a psychologist. Nice. Yeah. Did graduate school in Miami and wanted to be back by my people, my home. Nice. So born and raised in Utah. Yep. Yeah. Born and raised, though, actually lived in California and Colorado in the middle between being born and being raised. Okay. We all have our, you know, pilgrimage outside. <laughs> <laughs> and, sure. and Sam, you, you have a little bit of an English accent because your, your roots you. are in the UK, right? Yeah. Born in the UK, but kind of grew up in Utah. Nice. So... Trying to balance both. <laughs> Two tough accents for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you recently, you both have been involved in a study at Utah State. And Tyler, why don't you sort of build the foundation here of what this was and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. So I've been doing research about LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints for a while. It's been five years, maybe. And one of the things I've noticed and kind of focused in on is that there's a lot that happens with church leaders in ways that make LGBTQ Latter-day Saints experiences much better or much worse. So the study, the idea was about how can we help church leaders minister most effectively to LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. And this project specifically, we really wanted to work within church leaders' frameworks, not interested in challenging church teachings or church doctrines or even practices. We think that there's just a lot of room within the gospel and within ministry that church leaders could more effectively minister. So that was the first question that we had. And we kind of took that and we did a bunch of interviews. Sam maybe can talk about those. <laughs> yeah. So we found 25 people who were interested. We found a lot more people who were interested yeah. in sharing their stories, but we chose 25 of them. Sat down for 30 minutes to an hour. And these are LGBT individuals. Yeah. Okay. LGBTQ people who are currently in the church or who were and then have kind of mm-hmm. taken a step away because we wanted to get different stories And yeah, we sat down with these people and basically said, tell us about your experiences with church leaders. When did you come out to them? Like, what went well? What maybe didn't? What advice do you have for people to make this a better experience moving forward? And were you looking for regularities in in these stories or common experiences? Yeah, (laughs) very much so. Yeah, Yeah, we kind of had four or five like sub-questions we were asking. We were interested in why did people talk with their leaders? Hmm. We were interested in what were they told? What was helpful or unhelpful? What were the impacts of the conversation? And then what were LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints reactions to talking to their leaders? Mm -hmm. So we kind of, we asked versions of most of those questions. And then when we were looking through these interview transcripts, which were multiple pages (laughs) long, we were kind of pulling out themes from what people said. And our goal was to kind of put aside our experiences and biases, because both Sam and I are LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. But to see kind of what people said, what stories kept coming up, what themes kept coming up, just and then kind of summarize that back for people. Yeah. And so I'm curious, I'm not as familiar as with the research process in, in colleges and whatnot. What's the hope, like what's the end goal of doing a research study like this? Is it to write a book or to 
I mean, what do you do with it? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You know, honestly, Kurt, it's this podcast. It's, <laughs> nice. <laughs> we'll this, appreciate that time. So. Yeah. yeah it, this project was really about helping people understand better practices. And maybe eventually we will write a book with like a bunch of studies that we've done. Hmm. But this was a project we really wanted to do to get understanding of like how things were working, which maybe would inform other studies to, to think about what are the th- ways to change or improve. But then, I don't know, yeah, write a pamphlet, do podcasts, got written an article in the Salt Lake Tribune, but just kind of share the information back with concerned people. Yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, you you have a deep love for this community. And so, it's like, you want to help it, right? And just like the reason I started this podcast is (laughs) we want to help, right? Absolutely. Awesome. And would you say like, as far as the focus on leaders, did you... I mean, why leaders and, you know, why not families or talk about what, what mom and dad said or focus the study on, you know, familiar relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's quite a bit of research out there already on LGBTQ experiences with family. Because it happens in any religion right. or background yeah. or, right. yeah, right. And I found, like in my own experiences, I've had really good experiences and really bad experiences with church leaders talking about my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And there's just such a lack of kind of understanding that within this church specifically. And there's no official training material available for bishops. And so the goal kind of became, let's see what's going on. Let's see what's working and what's not. And maybe we can kind of help out in the ways that we know how. Yeah. Would you say that like this leader, you know, member relationship, like this is like, there's like, it's the moment for, I would imagine for some LGBTQ individuals, it's like, I haven't even told my family, my friends, but I'm going to go into the bishop's office and I'm going to tell him. Like, is, does it have more of a moment kind yeah. of? Yeah. 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 It's like stressful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking about my experience too, because that was, there's a line in the For Strength of Youth that said, basically, if you experience same-sex attraction, you should tell your parents and your bishop. And that was the only reason I came out. Oh, in, really? When I was like 13. And I told my parents and then I told my bishop and then I went back in the closet for a decade. But it was powerful. That line was powerful enough to like make it into a moment. And mm. that interaction with my bishop and my parents was a big part of what pushed me back in the closet for 10 years because it felt so shameful. And they didn't, neither my parents nor my bishop wanted to have that conversation. And fair enough, I didn't want to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we just all kind of agreed not to. And that was enough to kind of wrap it back up for a long time. Yeah. yeah anything you'd add to that, Sam, as far as the, the moment of... yeah. So mine was quite different my first time. The very first person I came out to was my mission president on my mission. Mm. And so I had built it up a lot as like, whew, we're going to tell someone finally. And for that to be a church leader as well while I was on a mission, it seemed really scary because there's all these potential ramifications of you could be sent home. And like, what if he tells the other missionaries? Mm. All these like thoughts. Yeah. And I ended up having a really good experience with him where he just kind of took a step back and said, I don't really know exactly what to say right now. But I do know that I care about you and you're a really good person. So give me some time to think about this. Hmm. Here are some resources, but just know like this is okay. Yeah. And what do you, because I think that's, I would say you always have that option to say, I just need more time, right? Because I remember (laughs) as a bishop, there was such this pressure of like, Oh, well, let, you know, I wanted to be the bishop who grabs his, his quad and flips to the right scripture, <laughs> well, right? And yeah. let me, I, I've got just the scripture, right? But I, a lot of times I just didn't know, right? And so you create that space of saying, I just love you, but I, I need some time. Like, I don't know what to <laughs> yeah. do, right? And that's yeah. such a, like, I loved that approach. Yeah. And yeah. I find that hard for myself sometimes like, when I'm in therapy with people. Mm-hmm. 
we're kind of told it's better to take a step back and think than to just say what the first thing that comes to your mind. But sometimes that's the pull of like, I need to be here for this person. Yeah. So I get that approach. I just don't think it's the most helpful. Yeah. And I remember as a bishop talking with an LGBTQ individual, I even said, I'm about to say some things, but <laughs> you have to promise me you'll give me another chance if I mess up. And she was oh, very grateful of you know giving me that grace, you know, because yeah. I wanted to say something, but I'm like, I didn't want to be just petrified. And like you said, let's just yeah. not talk about it because that's mm-hmm. not helpful either. Right? No. It, one of the things that came out and we'll talk about so much, but was the like tension that both parts feel in the interaction, both LGBTQ plus members and leaders. Both understand this is kind of a high stakes endeavor. And so both often approach the conversation kind of guardedly or scared about what could happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that approach of being able to say like, I'm going to say things and it's not going to come out well. And help me. Like, if it doesn't come out well, tell me. Like, I, I want to do well by yeah. you. Sam, I want to go back to your story a little bit. Was this just during a routine mission president interview you brought it up? Or, or was, it, yeah. was it, did you feel it boiling over in you? Like, why did you feel like now's the time? <laughs> yeah. It was a couple months in the making. I was in leadership. And so we had monthly meetings where all the leaders would go to the mission president's house. And so I knew that it was upcoming. I sent him an email or a text maybe. And I was just like, hey, would it be okay if I pulled you aside at the end and just talked to you really quick? And he said, yeah. So it wasn't an official meeting. But I had gotten to the point where I was like, the tension is too much between religion and these, like, my sexuality and my identity. Mm. And I need someone else's opinion. Like, I just can't keep doing this. Yeah. Was there something about the missionary life that was Mm. causing that? Or was it just maybe God was coming to you and saying, (laughs) we're dealing with this now, Sam? Yeah. That's a good question. I honestly don't really know. I think part of it for me was not being home anymore was really helpful in that I just had more time with my own thoughts and not Mm. like hearing family and people that I knew their perspective, because I already knew that. Yeah. So it gave me the chance to be more autonomous and to say, this is something that I want for me. Mm. Um, And yeah, I just got to the point where I was like, I want to be an effective missionary. And I feel like I'm just slowly becoming more and more stressed about this thing. I need to talk to someone. Yeah. And you didn't, I would imagine in that moment, you didn't feel like this is the end of my time in the church or it was more of a, from a place of, I want to be a better missionary and I need to reconcile this somehow in order to move forward with my spiritual progression. Is that? Yeah, for sure. I have since left the church as like, that's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. But at the time it was one of the most helpful things for me with my relationship with the church. And Mm -hmm. it's the reason I think that I stayed for an extra three or four years is I had this moment of like people in the church do care. And there's a way to make this work, even though it's difficult and uncomfortable. Like it got better once I came out Mm -hmm. and got positive reactions to that. Was it impacting your, in this moment of of tension almost, was it impacting your personal mental health or was- For sure. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Like, was it a a depression type thing? 1000%. Like depression, anxiety, since I like uncovered my sexuality, maybe around Mm -hmm. 11 or 12 until- a bit after I came out, but mm. it started getting better around the time I came out. And before this, you know, in, in your early teen years, it, you just found ways to cope and manage it or yeah, yeah type of thing. I guess. I'd like not effective ways. Right, right. I think a lot of my coping was building anxiety because it was me hiding a lot from people and then having this fear of what if they find out. Mm. And that's just not a fun way to live. Like, I don't mm. want that for anyone else. When you say like, I was afraid they'd find out, was it like, if I didn't know how to set a hard screen on the basketball court, like they would know. <laughs> like, um, I mean, what did you mean by that? Yeah. Like, why did, how, why did you think people are going to find out without you telling them? I don't, it's just like the fear that I think a lot of LGBTQ people yeah. 
Maybe I shouldn't project that. I assume people but, think that. Sure. That's my experience. I also, like, I wasn't sporty. I'm uh-huh. not sporty still. <laughs> I was in the musicals, like in choir, which are stereotypically more flamboyant things. Mm-hmm. And I was like loving it. And then there was also this piece that's like, you need to be the perfect member of the church because if you're not, people will start asking questions. Mm-hmm. And that seemed really big and scary for whatever reason. Yeah. Did anybody say later that they maybe did perceive this this part of you or before you told them? <laughs> yeah. No one had told me. I came out to my mom and she was like, I knew. And this I was is, like, this no, is after didn't. your mission. This is after my mission. Okay. She said she knew. And I was like, no, you didn't. And she was like, okay, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there was one friend that was like, I had considered it, but I'm like, I'm just glad that you came out. Yeah. Like, I'm glad that we can be honest yeah. and open, like as in our relationship now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, most people didn't. So those fears were unfounded. Yeah. Now, after you come home from your mission, did, was it just harder and harder to reconcile with uh, <laughs> with the church in general or your faith there? Or Yeah. So mm-hmm. I came out and I tried so hard mm-hmm. to do like the church thing, whatever that looks like. So I was the ward mission leader. I went to BYU. I worked, like I taught at the MTC. Uh-huh. My life became church and staying with the church. And were you generally open? Like if... That, like, did members yeah. of your ward know? Was it a casual thing that you'd mention as you're hanging out with friends? Or? Right. It became that. Mm-hmm. I think it took a year or two because I came home and I started telling family and close friends. And then I waited about a year because similar to Tyler, like kind of weird coming out experiences. So I went back into the closet for a while. Mm. But then, yeah, when I officially like came out publicly, it just became like I would talk about it in church talks yeah, and in lessons. Like I wasn't ashamed at that point. I just was questioning a lot of where do I fit now in this religion. Mm -hmm. And did you feel like you needed to commit to a life of celibacy and this is just your journey? I love all these questions. (laughs) And and don't worry, Tyler, I'm coming for you. (laughs) I'm all for it. I'm enjoying. (laughs) I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Until like maybe the day that I left the church Mm -hmm. in my head, I was like, the only way for me to make this work is Mm -hmm. to, I knew that marrying a woman wasn't on the table for me. I would go on a date. And then go home and like be so frustrated with myself that I couldn't feel anything. Mm. So yeah, in my head, it was like, I'm going to be kind of depressed. And in the church, making it work, being celibate, because that's what God wants for me. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to the point where I left the church, it became very like, God wants me to be who I am. This is who I am. Like, I'm going to marry a man and that's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, obviously, not all things religion directly connect to sexuality and whatnot. And so how how does your... How has your personal faith developed like in Jesus Christ or in broader, you know, themes of, of our beliefs? Yeah. Since then or just- Yeah, just up to current day. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a really good question. I think I kind of struggle a bit with religiousness Okay, since leaving the church just because there was so much, had some really negative interactions with church leaders. Mm. After your mission? After my mission. Okay. Mission president was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and some bishops were great too. And that's part of the reason for the study is there's such a range of experiences people have. But I had some bad experiences with church leaders and then church members. And it got to the point where I recognized in myself, like, it's not good for me to keep doing this, at least the way it's going on. Yeah. And so since then, I've kind of developed more on the spiritual side of things, of just personal connection to other people, finding my own meaning in life, things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And obviously, none of us want to pin this, uh, any of your decisions yeah. or directions on, on the leaders. If like, but <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't blame the leaders. Did you 
do you think if you had more positive interactions with church leaders, like you'd find a deeper strength to maybe find deeper faith and belief in the tradition? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. I honestly don't think so. I think that my trajectory either way would have been leaving the church. Mm -hmm. I think the difference would have been that I would have had a lot more positive memories of the church. Having stepped back, my mental health would have been a lot better being in the church. And I'd probably at least still have some ties or some... I mean, I have ties still to the church, but I think I'd be a bit more open to like going to church on a random Sunday when I'm visiting family Mm -hmm. because it like church would be a safer, it would feel safer for me than it maybe does. Yeah. And and I would imagine just from some of these interactions, there's some level of trauma that you've experienced where it's like, for sure. why don't we not (laughs) and look at that? Right. And so even if, even if you say like, yeah, regardless of what happened or who said what, I probably find myself here, but. It maybe would be nice that I didn't have these heavy, negative, traumatic yeah, experiences. For sure. right? Yeah, Like it affected things. And I still, I like really deeply appreciate people in the church and a lot of the messages that the church gives and the good that it does. So I try and hold that with the fact that it, it did a lot of hurt for me personally, and it mm-hmm. can harm a lot of LGBTQ people. The church or people within, like whatever yeah. we want to put that on. Yeah. So it's an interesting cool. balance trying to hold both. Cool. Yeah. All right. You're off the hook for a bit. <laughs> so, so Tyler, I want to hear your experience of, you yeah. know, growing up in Utah or going to high school in Utah and whatnot, going on a mission, coming home, still being very involved yeah. and, and going back to this concept of the moment. Like we sort of have created this, like if anybody's struggling with a sin or, uh, or maybe a, a difficult marriage or whatnot, sort of this moment of like, I will now go see the bishop. Like this <laughs> is the moment. So yeah. what was your experience like? You know, I can think of a few different moments. For me, coming out was something that was a process I engaged in that maybe spanned 15 years. So there's the 10 years I referenced where I talked to my parents and bishop and then went back in the closet. I wasn't ready for it. They weren't ready for it. And what age was that? I was 14, 15. And so fast forward, I was 25. I served a mission in New Jersey, loved it. I really kind of like Sam was saying, like poured myself into the church. And I think Part of it is that I love the church a lot. And that was my world. That's my family's world still. And so it was really just a lovely place to be. And I think another part of it is that that helped me resolve tension that I felt. So if I felt tension around my sexuality, one way to resolve that is by like dedicating myself more to the church. Like that lets me push down the sexuality and just say like, well, this is what really matters to me. And it was, it, it mattered a lot. And was it a form of sort of the pray the gay away type of thing or? Yeah, it felt less insidious. I didn't like, wasn't (laughs) conscious of the gay piece, but it's like, if I felt a little bad, I knew I could feel better if I did church things, if I prayed or studied scriptures or served. But did you ever have the expectation that this would like minimize or go away or? More like distract. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I suppose subconsciously I did for a while and eventually I realized it just wasn't going to go away. I was dating a woman who ironically was the one who married my partner and I like uh, last year. Oh, wow. But we were dating and it was when I started dating her that I understood that I needed to tell someone about this thing that I had, which I still called same-sex attraction and like didn't understand what it meant to be gay at that point. But I, she was one of the first people I told. And after telling her, I was like, all of these walls that I'd built up inside of myself had started to crumble. Like I'd really kept my life separate and divided. And that was, that was my, the moment where I, told my family again at 25. And then I talked to my bishop at the time. and was So like, let me ask you about 
that when you told your family again, like, was there ever reference to like maybe the night before you were going on your mission? Like, hey, how do you feel about this thing? Never, or? never forgotten. Oh, no. Like not spoken up. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But neither of my parents nor my bishop. And you didn't necessarily mind, even though it was maybe yeah. in hindsight, maybe hurtful or. Right. Know. In hindsight, I wish someone had just said it was okay. Like that, I think would have really changed things. But honestly, actually to today, I have not talked to my parents about that day. <laughs> You know, like it's still something that's this, there to, to... The 14-year-old day or the... The 14-year-old day. Okay. Like we have not revisited that conversation topic. Um, yeah. So, because like, when I came back, I came out to them again and it, I was much more certain about what was going on for me. Where the first time I was really hesitant and really scared, I was still scared, but certain. And I'm like, look, I experienced same-sex attraction, still going to be active in the church, um, still dating my ex and things are good. Uh, same with the bishop. And with the bishop, it was different. I was more, I was really looking for some guidance there. So it was the first time I'd spoken and I was wanting to understand how do I help make this work? Like, this is a thing. And how does this work with the church? Yeah. Am I still like worthy? I was, I was elders quorum president at the time. And I'm like, is this still okay for me to be with all yeah. these men? Is there something wrong? So did you walk into the bishop's office with this feeling of this is a confession of some type or? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Which is odd because I had done nothing. Like the first time I looked at pornography was like four years after this fact. Mm. So I'd never even really looked at porn and hadn't been with a man. And But I still felt really like wrong and really guilty. Mm -hmm. So that bishop was great just like because he just held space for me. And he let me know I was okay and that he still trusted me and that he had confidence in me and my calling. And I walked out on cloud nine like, okay, we're good. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was encouraging. I would imagine. That like, was really <laughs> encouraging. Yeah. And it probably has this feeling of like, I did it. I got past it. I'm going to feel this way all the time now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And for me, that was really the ideal, an ideal interaction with that bishop for where I was. And that let me, I was active in the church for probably another four years after that point. Mm -hmm. And I had a variety of interactions with bishops after that. And mostly I was kind of coming back to them with where I was at in my life. And they were... I don't know, checking in or giving me counsel kind of depended. So maybe a year later, I, my ex and I broke up and came to my bishop and I'm like, I don't, I wasn't having any questions about the church, but I started identifying as gay rather than same sex attracted, but mm -hmm. still very LDS. And, and I want to highlight that, that, you know, we use these terms and, and, you know, people have different feelings and whatnot, but for some individuals, this transition from calling yourself same sex attraction to gay can be a helpful one or it, it, like it's a thing. It's not like sometimes I use gays, but like, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it can yeah. be, a, be really attached to your identity. And could, that was the hardest moment for my family. Like things with my family were good when I was same-sex attracted, but when I identified as gay, even so within the church, that felt like the tipping point where things started to be hard for them. And when they, I think, started seeing my path diverge from the church, mm. Even though I hadn't started thinking of it that way yet. So there's this feeling of like, why are you using that word when you're... Yeah. You know? if, if you're still in the church, why are you letting that be such a big part of your identity? Mm, okay. So yeah, then it was like the next year I came out as gay and I'm like, I think I'm going to date men. And then I was celibate. And eventually, four years later, I left. Or I didn't didn't leave the church. I decided that I would, the best path for me was going to be a mar to marry a man. And I was just going to do it and then be excommunicated after because I love the church I was participating was still meaningful. Mm. It's like, and, I can't, 
I'm not going to quit. You're going to yeah, fire you're gonna me. Force me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, like Sam, I was really enjoying being active and like sharing my story and my experiences and saying like, look, like I can be here and I can still really value all these things. This is great. And then the church came out with the policy in November about same-sex couple or like the children of same-sex couples because uh-huh. I nothing really changed for me, but emotionally it felt really impactful. And I resigned shortly after because it felt easier, honestly, for my family and the people under, around me to understand, like, actually, my mentality has shifted. But mm-hmm. I think the healthiest way for me is going to be over here. Still love and honor over here, but this is kind of where I'm heading. Yeah. Nice. Anything else detail about yeah, your journey? That yeah, maybe with? a wrap-up detail with leaders. As I was leaving the church, I formally resigned, which meant that I talked with my branch president, my stake president. And had really great experiences resigning from the church, actually. Both my branch and stake president were really clear. They asked if I was sure. And I'm like, yeah. And after that question, which I think is super fair, they're like, well, we just want you to know that if you want to come back, like, here's a place. Like, I want to talk mm-hmm. to you. You are so welcome. And those interactions felt really, I don't know, they let me, it felt like they honored my intention to leave mm-hmm. while making it clear that the door was still open. And so it's made it easier to continue to engage. Yeah. So I'm curious to your thoughts, uh, both of your thoughts on this concept. You know, we use the term leave the church and everybody uses it, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's such this, like, it can feel like such this club or membership, like yeah. I'm either in or out, right? But, <laughs> but obviously you live in Utah and, yeah. and it's, it's so much part of the local culture as well. And so, I mean, do you, do you want to be out of the church when I mean like as far as like I'm over here you're over there we only interact like if we're at Costco or something like (laughs) (laughs) but I mean is do you have a desire to go to the 4th of July breakfast to sing in the choir or to show up every once in a while or I mean what or is that that? great question yeah because I I quote unquote left when I was living in Memphis so it was Mm -hmm. a different feel oh yeah And you can disappear a little bit easier. Yeah, there was less of a community where it didn't feel, yeah, I don't know that very much of it felt oppositional for me. It felt more like being, like heading somewhere rather than heading away from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I was saying like, look, where I am going is toward marrying a man. And that it's clear that it doesn't let me have all the like privileges associated with church membership. Mm -hmm. But I still had, I know I still had friends and I would go to, church things after and i definitely didn't want to get Ooh, i wanted to get away from sunday for a while yeah but not from like i sang i remember singing in the christmas choir like the year after i left because i loved singing in the choir yeah yeah do you experience similar to sam's story i I would imagine there's some level of trauma or experiences there that sort of just being in maybe just being in a chapel is like this is great but my mind can't stop Mm. going back to that moment or that thing or yeah you know what i can't do is listen to people speak What's what's worse is that it's not just church. It's like other meetings too. So like a formal cadence of I'm I'm gripping the podium a certain way. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I can do podcasts, but I can't like hear lecturers speak very well either. I feel really powerless. So that that comes up for me at church. But it's so much easier for me to go back for fast and testimony meeting Mm. or for like a musical Primary program. Primary program. Like that feels great. But if even if it's just like Mary Jo down the street talking, I'm like, meh, I'd rather not. (laughs) And I think just like any culture, we just create, we have this cadence of just how we present ourselves and and it perpetuates. So Sam, I'll come back to you as far as, do you want your bishop to knock on your door? And if so, like, (laughs) 
Like, what do you want him to say? You know? <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I, I do know. The answer is no. Okay. And um, we can edit out long pauses. No, and that's totally anyways. fine. I guess. Well, so for me, the very last church leader I talked to was my bishop mm-hmm. in a YSA ward. The, is it your the guy who's your current bishop? Or no, okay. this was like four years ago okay, at BYU. Gotcha. Okay, I've moved twice since then, so nice. we're safe. All right. <laughs> but I came out to him, and he was very like in the moment. He seemed fine with it. And then I heard from all my BYU professors the next day, like your bishop reached out to us, mm-hmm. told us to keep an eye on you, that if you like give oh, a boy. hug to anyone, like, we should report you to oh, him so no. he could get you out of BYU. So and really, one, yeah, negative. it was a lot, yeah. and it yeah. felt like gross just to hear that. Yeah, I was in the psychology program. All my professors were like, "No, this is a thing. We're not going to do that." But like, just be aware, he's sending these emails, mm. and so that's the last bishop I've talked to. Mm. So I like recognize that's not all because I had some great church leaders. Yeah, but yeah, I just like don't <laughs> don't want to go back into is that. It, is it just that? Bishop, like the title, the office of bishop, sort of this authoritative figure that's coming to you? Or, I mean, yeah. would you want some ministering brothers to knock on your door and just say, hey, we're, we're from the local <laughs> ward? I mean, I'm, I'm right. curious. I live with two other members. Oh, okay. Um, and so, people, people are around. <laughs> okay. I guess I'm just so comfortable with where I'm at. Yeah. Like, I feel really good about cool. my position in life. Yeah. And so I think I like I wouldn't be offended if people came over, but I also would very respectfully say, just so you know, like I'm gay and I don't intend to change that. Right. Like I'm nor nor do you need a place in the religious community per se. Yeah. Like if you want to invite me to play frisbee, let's do it. Yeah. But I'm like I'm not going to go to church services because I know that that's not what I believe in. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Like I respect what you're doing. Yeah. Because that's such a from the leadership side of things, it's such a. like I remember being bishop and there was a uh, two guys that were no I don't think they're married but they're lived together and one I think was a return missionary but I we were just sort of like these like oh. I won't talk to you if you won't talk to me and now I have mm. such deep regret that I didn't at least try that I didn't knock yeah. on the door and just say maybe you don't want me here but you can never go anywhere and no- think that I didn't try you know what I mean? But so yeah. what about you Tyler do, do you want your bishop knock on your door? <laughs> no I don't either. Okay. Um but I think the point that I resonate with is what you said, Kurt, is asking, because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's right. Like saying if my bishop were to, I wouldn't resent my, the bishop of that's here in Centerville if he came and said like, hey, I'm the bishop, you live in the area, curious who you are, what you're about, what you feel about the church. Mm-hmm. would love that. I'd, I would love to know him. And I think that's just kind of where it would end for me, because it would be kind of similar to Sam. Like I, I would like, it's easy in interactions with church members or ministers or leadership to be like projected. And I think it would yeah. feel like that almost regardless of who reached out. Mm. So I know they reached out because I'm either not going attending services or mm. because I'm queer and that would feel yucky. But my husband and I just bought a house in Kaysville and we're, I actually have imagined going back to church when we go up there to meet the Bishop and like the local ward. Cause there's the idea that our neighbors are mostly going to be Latter-day Saints. Yeah, yeah. And would love that. Like, I would love to know my neighbors and know this thing that like connects them. And then, with, but I want to be seen as like a proper human being and like a complete and fine person without the church. Yeah. So I don't want to feel like you're saying something's wrong with me for not yeah. being there. Or there's always this undertone of like just nudging, like, "Hey, why don't you yeah. come back?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and that's interesting because I sometimes hear like these experiences of people saying like, you know, they 
they have these activities, but only the local members invite each other and whatnot. And, and there's sort of this, uh, this feeling of like, aren't they, they're sort of bad people because they're not open and reaching out to others. Yeah. But I don't think we recognize just, they may be just completely petrified. They don't know how to do that, you know? Absolutely. And so there's always just sort of this, uh, Interesting dynamic of, do you want us to reach out or not? Or you know? Yeah, can I jump in with one yeah. more thing? I think mm-hmm. in, in Utah especially, it's different because so much of like neighborhood dynamics or Latter-day Saint dynamics. And so I think it could be really helpful and healthy for a ward to think of itself as like a neighborhood HOA board. Yeah. <laughs> like if they approached like neighborhood ward activities like that, I think people would feel more included if they said like, well, who are the people in our neighborhood that we want to be there? And then we're just going to invite them because this is the thing we're doing as neighbors and like church. I think yeah. it could like help blend. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I, I feel like I've completely avoided your research, <laughs> but it's tangential, right? So, yeah. so with this, I mean, how can we uh, circle back to the research as far as a jumping off point with maybe just what you found? And I know you yeah. have a great infographic as far as some steps that leaders can take. Yeah, I mean, we can we can go through it. We can also kind of just give high-level suggestions for what we found. Perfect. Because yeah. Sam and I have digested this. We've talked about it a fair amount. Yeah. And we kind of each have our favorite findings from what we got here. So I can start with one of my biggest takeaways from the research. We asked people why they talked with church leaders. And there were a lot of different reasons. They talked about some of them wanted to repent. Some of them wanted to uh, just be open about their sexuality or gender. Some wanted guidance, some wanted comfort. Some didn't even want to talk about it, but just did because the church leader asked. And we really found that there are so many different reasons that we think that leaders will do best if they can understand why people are talking to them about sexuality or gender. Because if I'm, if like my earliest self, my 14, 15 year old self, who was so scared of my sexuality or gender, what I needed most was just comfort, you know? And if that, if I had gotten that, it would have really helped soothe me. And I think a lot of times leaders approach people coming out with repentance and church doctrine in a way that doesn't match what people are actually coming to them with. They're just yeah. saying like, I trust you. I want, I want you to know this thing. And this is something I have recognized just in all settings, not just LGBTQ conversations, but there's this sort of this default as a leader. And I've been this leader and I understand it completely where you default to behaviors, even yeah. asking something like, well, you haven't acted on that, right? Right. Like yeah. that, there's such a, overtone of, of behavior there as far as yeah. like, well, let's yeah. make sure that behavior's in order, then we'll get to the comfort part, right? But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I know I'd want it to be understood and seen most. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful way to lead Christ-likely, if that's a word, is seeing people and like a lot of ministering is just saying, I'll walk with you. And, yeah. and that's often enough. Yeah. Because I think that question, as far as like defunding behaviors, there's this feeling of it's not okay if you have acted on it. When in reality, of course it's okay. Like there's, <laughs> yeah, everything could be reconciled by Jesus Christ. Like there is, it is okay, you know? And so putting that aside and just fo- focusing on the comfort of just being present with the yeah. person, right? Yeah. Super helpful. Anything you'd yeah. add to that, Sam, or the comfort slip of comfort or? Yeah. I really like that idea of tailoring. Mm-hmm. So making sure you understand why people are coming in because people will be looking for different things. And if you just have kind of your standard, like just pray and read the scriptures, that's not going to be super helpful. Mm-hmm. We asked what the most common counsel was that people were given and it kind of ranged, but we followed that up with what did you find most helpful? And I, this is my favorite takeaway by far is that everyone, like the most common helpful thing for LGBTQ members was nothing that 
church leaders were saying, but it was how they were approaching the conversation. Mm -hmm. We called it like empathic listening skills, but essentially actively listening, showing that you care, like validating experiences. Mm -hmm. Those skills, when they were used, were seen as far more helpful than any specific counsel that was given. Yeah. And that's such a clear and easy takeaway for church leaders is you don't have to say the perfect thing. Just be a person with the member in the room yeah. and show that you care and that you're there. And when you talk about like these skills, is there are there any resources or like you would refer people like how do we build those skills? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great, great question. Because <laughs> I mean, because we often uh, use this a mantra I go to again, and we often mistake a ability problem for a motivation problem. Like, oh my, oh, my yeah. leader just doesn't want to love me. He just right. doesn't. And on the other side of his eyeballs, he's thinking, I am so petrified right now. I don't know what to do. With you know, I don't <laughs> yeah. have the skill set. So I, I don't, and maybe there's not, you don't have a immediate answer for that, but. Might I have to look, look this up and circle back with you because okay. there's got to be some really good accessible sure. stuff online because it's like basic empathic listening skills, like reflecting back to the other person, what they're saying and pausing after you speak mm -hmm. and being comfortable with silence yeah. and like having a pleasant demeanor, like really like pretty actually concrete things yeah. that we, not we, a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> naturally do to communicate like interest, but for a lot of other people are not natural at all mm -hmm. and take a lot of learning. Yeah. And those are the, those are some of the skills that yeah. I think are really. And important. I guess I don't mean to paint the picture that there's this one resource you should do, but even sitting down and Googling empathic listening yeah. skills yeah. Into, yeah. or okay. even to YouTube and I'm going to watch some guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a start, right? Yeah, so. for sure. It'll also help you in your marriage. Yeah, your exactly. Relationship with like kids. any relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very helpful. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So how do you frame this first uh, takeaway? I mean, just this comfort, emp empathy or. Yeah, I think just allow it, like for church leaders, allow yourself to focus more on just being there with the person mm -hmm. and showing that you care as opposed to thinking of the perfect thing to say yeah. or the perfect way to get them to stay. Yeah, cool. What's next? What else did you learn? Yeah, here? another takeaway that I love is that knowing when you know more, you can do more. Mm -hmm. So it's the perfect counterpoint to the last takeaway <laughs> because we found... Uh, LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints saying that it was hurtful when my leader was ignorant or had black and white thinking, this idea of like talking about, did you act on it being like the most important thing or not understanding what LGBTQ people experience. And so the more that leaders know about what it's like to be LGBTQ plus, I think the more effective they'll be able to be. They will feel less nervous and less likely to make errors and saying like, oh, if you're gay, you must have had sex. Or if you're trans, you must have transitioned and mm. more able to sit kind of in the like grayness of the middle and be more effective. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. And, I, and this, you know, no more, do more concept of, to me, like I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of, of North Star and their conference. I sit on their board and whatnot. And yeah. so, I'm we're always promoting it every year and it's coming up this year in, in June, by the way. But just this, like, you don't have to go there and return as an expert or feel yeah. like, right? But yeah. just the power of a bishop coming back and saying, I want you to know, like saying to his priest quorum or whatnot, I want you to know I've been at this conference oh my gosh. trying to learn that more. Like life changing. <laughs> Let me just share a few things that, that stood out to me, right? Yeah. Again, you're not an expert, but suddenly they see like, this is a guy that's trying and he wants to understand. Yeah. Like, I'll sit down with that guy, right? For sure. If every bishop would go to North Star, we would be in a right. great place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, and again, or, or even just picking up a book and saying, I've read this book and yeah. you know, whatever it is that you're trying. Yeah. And I think it really helps, especially with trans and gender nonconforming members of the church. Mm -hmm. There's a lot 
many people at this point in time have a gay or bisexual friend. And so there's a lot, we feel a lot more comfortable socially with sexual minorities, but a lot of people don't know anyone who's transgender or gender nonconforming. And so you can really see their eyes open up when someone comes out and says, Hey, I'm trans. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know anything that this means. So I think that would be particularly helpful for like a bishop to go to North Star or to visit I know Voices of Hope or listen to some stories, like YouTube videos of transgender members of the church, just to hear the ways that they talk about themselves and the ways that they understand their gender would be really helpful. Mm, that's awesome. Anything to add to this? No more, do more? Yeah. No, I love all of that. I think it's definitely best when people know. I remember specifically two conversations from the interviews. And one was a gender nonconforming individual. And they said that they had gone in and talked to the bishop and said, hey, I'm nonconforming or non-binary. And the bishop was like, oh, so you use they, them pronouns. Like, tell me a bit more about your experience. Uh And this participant was just like, that was the safest I think I've ever felt coming out to someone because I knew that they at least knew some things and that they were open to talking about it. Mm -hmm. So there's such power in that. And also for people who aren't aware, I think it's okay to ask, to say like, hey, I actually, I'm not really sure what it means to be transgender. Could you explain what that means to you? Like, help me see what you're going through. And I would say even if you, (laughs) I mean, feel like you know what that means, you even start there because to them, maybe you don't know what it means in their life, right? Everyone has different experiences. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. All right, next, uh, what comes after that? Any other takeaways? Yeah. So we asked them at the end of each interview, one of the questions was, what were your reactions to church leaders? Or do you have any messages that you would like to share with church leaders? Mm-hmm. And I was a bit surprised by it, but we found that there was a lot of grace given. So a lot of individuals would share really difficult experiences that they had with bishops and stake presidents. And then at the end, they'd say, you know, I actually, I don't have hard feelings toward this person. I recognize they're just human and they're trying their best and they just don't know what to do. And so like, just know it's okay, but please do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a cool message and hopefully less pressure on church leaders to know a lot of these members aren't like going to go and gossip about you to everyone. Like they get that you're people and that you're trying. So yeah, like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Lean yeah. into that. Yeah. Sure. Nice. Cause you're both just people talking to each other at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. I was surprised to see so much grace too. And it really like counterpointed nicely the idea that people feel a lot of LGBTQ plus members feel really anxious talking to church leaders. Mm-hmm. We heard so many different versions of this idea that, you know, I talked to my church leader and it wasn't great, but at least it wasn't one of those horror stories. I got lucky. And people kept saying that in a way that was really odd because they weren't telling us the horror stories. Everyone was grateful they didn't have the horror stories. Hmm. And we started to wonder if there's this narrative that you're going to have a horror story when you talk to a church leader. And I think that's it's sad first, but also really helpful for both leaders and members to know that there's just a lot of anxiety built into the conversation. And even though it's unlikely, like this anxiety isn't rooted in most people's experiences, it's still there. And so members, even while they have grace, are probably going to be pretty anxious when talking about gender or sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, and just being mindful that as they walk, and really anybody who walks in that office, there's some level of anxiety that you maybe have more power to diffuse than, than you realize. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And if personal experience, uh, there was a, I was living in one ward and there was a, my stake president had a, had a question about regarding leading saints and he called me in and 
this was such an eye-opening experience for me because I, I knew I wasn't going in for a calling. It wasn't routine. Like he had a question about leading mm. saints. I didn't know if it was good or bad or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it suddenly just, I had this awakening moment of like how shameful this experience of being called in is. Even though it wasn't yeah, a big deal, a really it was fine. Point. Yeah. But I thought, and I've, I've got a long list of things I would do differently if I was... <laughs> <laughs> but like this is just one of those things of like if I ever have to, if I was a leader and ever had to call somebody in to, right. to discuss something, like is there a way we could go about that that isn't like, okay, what you need to do is sit outside this... You know, big oak door with yeah. a name tag, and then sit in and welcome to my Cadillac desk here. <laughs> and I'm gonna, you know, it's just just these little things, right? Where, yeah. yeah, that. And from my standpoint as a leader, I always thought, well, I'm just, I got a lot of people to meet. Like I'm at the church, just line them up, and I'll meet them. But it can just that environment can be more shaming than we really intend it to be. Yeah, and so it may be that first one where you know you don't the bishop isn't aware that you need to come in, but you come in and you talk. But maybe. And I love this uh, interview, the bishop in, in Minnesota, and he has this taco restaurant and they, he calls it his secondary bishop's office. They just, oh, he just amazing. takes people uh, to tacos, right? And that just shifts the, the yeah. thing of like, hey, we're just going to talk as, you know, you say people to people. Yeah. I think we don't realize the fact that we have this office in this church in the, with this big desk and I look at you straight on, like it just... You may say like, what? I'm not being shaming. It's like, well, yeah, but you've built this fortress of shame <laughs> yeah. sometimes that again, maybe it's not the leader that intended it to be that way, but that individual right. walking in there could feel that way. Right? And I think a lot of leaders, at least I know, even as elders quorum president, I wasn't often aware of the power that I had. Mm -hmm. And with the power, it means I'm responsible for dictating conversations that people are going to listen to me and take really seriously what I say. Mm -hmm. And so stepping, I think, out of that power position can be a really easy like neutralizer, which is, yeah. I think, why the taco shop works. They're like, right. mm -hmm. Even just on the other side of the desk, like right. moving your chair so you're sitting at each other without a desk, like that says, like, look, we're on the same place, and yeah. it really works. Yeah, yeah, I think that's helpful. Anything else as far as this, these messages or the people to people or uh, minimizing that upfront anxiety? Like, I'm expecting a, an awful story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think those are my big ones. I just yeah, okay. I remember being really struck at the end of each interview with like people have such a range of experiences, and yet they still a lot of people are still like. I want to make this work. Yeah. And I just like, I wish that I was having better experiences because yeah. sometimes it makes it a lot harder. And it really is just being able to be that person and yeah. to say like, Hey, I'm just going to listen to you. Like, tell me what it means to you to be queer. That's such yeah. a simple, easy thing that people can do. And I think people just don't know that that's what they can do. Yeah. And the results of these meetings, again, sort of the, these moment meetings, they can be so binary that you either leave on cloud knife thinking there's there's yeah. hope or you leave yeah. like this is just going to get worse and worse. Right? Yeah. And we saw that. People said yeah. the meetings were really impactful on both ways. Like we had people mm. saying that this let me feel really like I belonged in my ward. And then we had people saying, oh, this is the reason that I stopped going to church. And I guess I don't know what you do with that information as a leader, but understanding that people do experience these meetings is really impactful. And like narrate their lives afterwards by the impact of the meetings. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. So Tyler, you've mentioned that you're making an effort to get in front of ward and state councils. Right. And this is, I would imagine some leaders that's laughable. It's like, Hey, you're married to a man, you're outside the church and you want right. this audience. Excuse me. Right. Like, <laughs> no. so, yeah. But tell, tell me more about that. Yeah. So we, we want to talk to ward and state councils for five minutes and to do a really brief rundown of what we found because we think that just knowing more will help leaders lead better. Mm -hmm. And 
recognize in so many ways that neither Sam nor I are like fully part of the church. And maybe those are actually the best reasons to invite us Mm -hmm. because we've been on the other side of the desk. And I think, Kurt, like we've talked about, our both Sam and I's goal is really to work within church frameworks. We're not interested in challenging doctrine or teachings. We're, we think there's plenty of room in the doctrine and the gospel of Jesus Christ to be more effective ministers. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to help people do. And we just think that there's a lot of people who need, if they had more information, they could be better leaders for LGBTQ plus members. Yeah, yeah. So let's say worst case scenario, they don't let, you know, <laughs> make some time in, in Warder State Council and they just listen to this episode. Right. That would be great too. Any any other message you'd add to this if you were in front of a state council that we haven't covered already? Hmm. I think for myself, like those are the main points that yeah. I would share. It's just really beneficial to be able to kind of have people's feedback and to answer, maybe not even answer questions, but kind of allow for more thought provokingness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think I'd say that just having these kinds of conversations in ward and state councils and in wards and stakes are super helpful. Just saying like, we're going to talk about LGBTQ plus members today. And the ward and state councils that we visited have been, the visits have been most effective, I think simply because the bishop or stake president said, this is something that matters to our ward or stake and we are going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And like our part in the councils is really small, but like the attention communicates like an understanding and an eagerness to learn. Yeah. And there's a, a former stake president in Southern California that did something similar, but invited members of the LGBTQ community there locally to come in and talk and share their story and whatnot. And I think there's this dynamic, a part of like the content of what you're going to share. I think it, it, uh, it could be a really helpful experience of maybe after the discussion saying, what do you feel like? Was it appropriate for me to invite Tyler here? Who's, uh, who's <laughs> yeah. left the church and married to a man and, and living this lifestyle? Like, how do you feel about that? Like, and just to see where people are at, I think it could lead to a great discussion, but yeah. to set a strong example of like, yeah. I'm not afraid of these people, right? It, like, you know, I love that. I'd hope those discussions happen. And yeah. if people are willing to let us come, we also are interested in getting their perspectives. We're wanting to get information from church leaders about what they wish, like their perspectives on counseling LGBTQ plus members. Cause mm-hmm. we've talked to the members, but we haven't talked to church leaders. Mm-hmm. So we've built our own little like five question survey for church leaders that we're hoping to get people to also take to understand like what they feel, what in their perspective has been the most yeah. helpful and unhelpful. Things. Yeah. That was uh, my next question. Cause it sounded like you just talked to LGBTQ individuals. Yeah. Not that, but you'd, Maybe you're interested in talking to leaders, right? Yeah. And if you can link to it in the show notes, we can give you a link for interested leaders. Oh, okay. For us, leaders is anyone on a ward or state council. Because we recognize this as a, it's a, it's a gap, right? The experiences of members is like 50% of the interaction. But yeah. a leader could have said something really wonderful and it got taken really poorly and, and vice versa. Yeah. With these points that we've considered, would you tweak or is there anything to add as far as if you're talking to only to youth leaders? Because obviously this is a... Uh, yeah. a, something that may be happening more under the surface, but we'd like it if it didn't happen under the surface, right? Like we remove that shame of it all. So you don't have to go back in the closet for 10 years, right? Right. Yeah. Anything you'd say to the youth leaders around these things? I think I would just advocate for a bit more, like showing that you're open to having the discussion. So I like think about the North Star comments that we made before. Mm-hmm. If a, For me, growing up in young men's, like if a church leader had said, anything that indicated that they were a safe space to talk to. Yeah. Even if I ended up not talking to them, I'd feel so much more comfortable mm. being around them. 
and I wouldn't be carrying so much shame of, I can't tell anyone about this. Yeah. 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 And there's this feeling of like, we, we, we've built this uh, framework somehow in our faith tradition of like, the bishop is like the only guy that can <laughs> have right. the tough conversations, right. right? And I would love, you know, if, if I was a bishop again, just to, you know, even in the repentance process, just sort of do the quote unquote paperwork of it. Like, yeah, I am the guy that says you're forgiven. I'm glad you yeah. made all this progress with your priest oh, quorum advisor. Great. You know, you're good. You know, rather than, yeah. all right, now we got to get you in the bishop's office, right? Yeah. I really think young men and young women's presidencies and organizations are crucial. Mm-hmm. And at the risk of over speaking, I would say it's irresponsible for young men's and young women's presidency to not discuss LGBTQ issues in any given year. Mm. Like this should be a discussion that happens every year because the youth are having these discussions with their friends. Yeah. And the youth are a lot more open and like engaging the topics. So I think it sends a really strong message when church leaders don't talk about it that this is not okay. And Honestly, I think that it becomes challenging for straight and cisgender members when it can't be talked about at church because then they also deal with conflict about like, well, I love my friend Sally who's lesbian and I can't talk. Like just providing framework is helpful. Yeah. Interesting. So the last the last topic I want to explore is, and maybe I'll introduce it with this. So every time as I was a bishop in an inner city area, and so I get random calls either, you know, for welfare help or... Mm-hmm. Another was uh, people who wanted to get married. They reach out to me. Hey, I, I, they really like my rate, you know, free. <laughs> yes. And uh, and they'd reach out. And, and I always would say, sure, I'd be happy to. You just need to meet with me before. And the way I saw it was it was an opportunity to get them in the church, to get them in the bishop's office, to see me face to face, to sort of diffuse, maybe create more safety, right? Yeah. And then I also took, you know, we go through the details, like when is it, what do we, you know, all the wedding details. And then I would always take a moment of just saying like, all right, so what's the deal? You're, <laughs> you're not coming to church, like you're, you're moving, yeah. you're transitioning into this stage of life. I believe that religion, was, it will really be a blessing in your life. So what's up, right? And sort of create that dialogue, right? So I love these principles and concepts come to the surface. And I realize that there may be, you know, the comfort and safety and these, I mean, initially we got to build that foundation of that. But at some point we believe that like we are representatives of Jesus Christ and we hold keys and, you know, at least some leaders and we promote un- unashamedly the the covenant path, right? And so at some point there has to be a discussion of, you do understand this, this is not the, like, I do not endorse this director. I mean, I, what are your thoughts on that? Is it just because yeah. I mean, yeah. this is, we can't just sort of be like, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just here, like, sort of not saying anything, and you know, because there is some doctrine we deeply yeah. believe in and a path that we want them to go on. Right. So, what comes to mind when you saying that? Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, I think about parents who have kids that are getting into things that they don't mm-hmm. want them to, or mm-hmm. most parents have rules about their house and what is and isn't okay for kids, and. Mm-hmm. One of the most effective strategies I've seen for like implementing and enforcing those rules is saying like, you know, Johnny, if you do this, this is what's going to happen, right? And you know that, right? Yeah. Cool. And that's it. It's relatively ineffective for the parent to like lock Johnny in his room so that he can't get access to the cookie box. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful frame for church leaders too with LGBTQ plus issues. Really the only church leader on a local level that should really be concerned about it is the bishop. Mm-hmm. The bishop's the only one who'd be involved in any church discipline against an LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. person. So, if you're not the bishop, I think you can say, thank goodness, I'll let the bishop figure this out. And if you are the bishop, I think 
a really helpful frame is to say like, okay, yes, I love you. I support you, all of that. And you know, if you transition, if you're in a same-sex relationship, that I will need to like process excommunication against you. Like, you know, that's the case, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. No. Okay. Awesome. Done. Like, I I think that does it. I think that checks the boxes. Mm -hmm. And actually, no, no. One follow-up. (laughs) Because I think... A lot of the sensing is what it is that individual members are wanting and needing because some or many LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints are wanting to repent, are wanting to be in full fellowship. And that's a super important role, again, mostly for the bishop to help them to get there. Yeah. Sam, what would you add to that? Yeah. I think just from my own, I agree with everything Tyler said first. From my own experiences and from something that came up in the interviews, there's so much power in hearing a church leader say, hey, like you know, this is what the church says, and this is what I want for you. However, I also respect your decisions. So, Mm -hmm. if this is what you feel is best for you, just know I'm here for you either way. Like, if you choose to not go to church anymore, you can still talk to me. Like, I still want to be your friend, and the church will always be here for you. And if you choose to stay, that's great, and we'll make this space as comfortable as it can be for you. Mm -hmm. So, like, highlighting, obviously, this is the church's position, However, you have agency and you should use that and know that I'm here for you either way. Yeah. That's such a powerful message. Yeah. And, and it's because it's at the core of any of Christ's doctrine is that concept of acceptance. Like yeah. you do realize like no matter what you decide, I just love you and, right. and I'm your friend and whatever. And we will always save a place in the pews for you if, if you need that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else to add to that? I don't think so. I really, but it's a really complicated position to hold. Yeah. yeah. And I think. A lot of LGBTQ plus members are met really often with people restating church doctrine and positions Mm -hmm. in a way that's actually super unhelpful. Right. Because I think it's generally safe to assume as a like run of the mill member of this church that LGBTQ plus members know how the church feels about LGBTQ plus people, at least doctrinally. And so, unless you're in a position to be like spiritually in charge of someone, I think it's usually not helpful to bring up the church's views because it's just, it's understood already. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Well, you know, the, this, for me and my personal faith experience, like, you know, Jesus has been, has, has changed me obviously. And I don't speak for anybody, but my, myself, I just a guy with the podcast, but <laughs> I'm just, I just hear your stories and so many, and I'm just so sorry that you experienced this, any level of trauma in the context of our faith and, and whatnot. And that doesn't fix anything per se, but I hope you know at least one person recognizes that. And I say that because there's such beauty in this church, right? And if you, I just would want, as a leader, I'd want an individual to feel like, like, even if you just have one primary song that you love, like, I'll play that once a month if you just come in and <laughs> sit down and, and enjoy that. Cause not because I want you in the club or I want you to repent or I want you to change your ways, but I just, want you to find Jesus some way, right? And and maybe you think, Kurt, yeah, I got him. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And that's fine. But like the way that I've experienced it been, been so powerful and life-changing that I, I just, that's my hope is like, as people listen to this, I hope people are maybe more intentional about how they can just carve off a sliver of Jesus and say, I can make room for that. Like, what do we got to <laughs> do? You can come and leave or yeah. whatever, but I just want you to feel part of this, right? So I love it. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. But- and I think that's why the, the church and its teachings are so powerful is because when people are sharing it well, it's because it means it matters so much to them. Mm-hmm. 
And to communicate that and show someone it is inherently beautiful. And sometimes that gets lost in translation and sometimes it feels bad, but that idea is, is super beautiful. Yeah. All right. I'm always thinking of a uh, last question, you know, every podcast <laughs> got their up. question, but maybe I'll just have you answer and Tyler, you answer first and then and Sam, but if you were to speak to all those past leaders, especially maybe those that didn't handle it very well, like where are you at right now? And, and are you happy? And like, what, yeah. are, are you okay? Like, I, I think these are silly questions, but I think we sometimes lose sleep over it. So what would you say to those leaders? Yeah. I mean, thank you is the first piece because the majority of my interactions were good. And I'm really grateful for my church leaders, especially the ones in Miami as and Memphis as I was really navigating. I mm-hmm. was just great. I'm really grateful that they held space for me. And I think to my earlier church leaders, I would say, I understand and I hope you learn. Like it would be like, and I understand, and it would still, there'd be some firmness to it of like, you could have done better. And I'm not blaming you. I'm not carrying that around. But I, I hope you also use your negative experiences as motivation to keep moving. And I just, I really think we've got great leaders. And pe- mostly I see people who really want to do well and are doing well with like such limited time and energy. Yeah. And, and tell us about your happiness right now. Oh, really great. Feeling really happy. I yeah, I got married the last year and that's been a real source of like stability and happiness. Mm-hmm. Um I did, there was there were several years that I actually legitimately wondered if I was ever going to be stable and happy when I was leaving the church because it was so difficult. I loved the church. I loved the church. And my experience of leaving was very much of not being able to have something that I really wanted. And I didn't know that I would ever be able to let go of that. And it's been really nice the last few years to feel like consistently stable and happy. Like I've been able to reorganize my life in a way that brings me meaning and purpose and value and connection with others and spirituality. Yeah. All right, Sam, how about you? If you were in front of all those leaders, the good and bad, the yeah. positive and negative experiences, what message do you have for them? And then tell us about your happiness. Mm, a lot of retweet to our Tyler. So okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel really lucky that most of my church leaders were also very just good, like very clearly there for me, both bishops and young men's leaders and whatnot throughout, and especially my mission president, obsessed. (laughs) Um, So I would just honestly probably express a lot of gratitude of like, I really appreciate that you were there for me and I felt that and that impacted me. I'm sure in many ways that I still don't fully understand. There's always room to improve. Like, please make those improvements. Listen to what we said today. (laughs) However, I recognize you're a person and you're doing like you're volunteering all of this time to help people. And that's such a beautiful thing. So thank you for doing that. Like, I appreciate that sacrifice. And then yeah, I just, I am like so happy. (laughs) And I, my family very frequently is like, you have never seemed like a very emotionally expressive person until three ish years ago when I just kind of began feeling and showing this joy because life is so fun. It's stressful sometimes, but like, I'm so happy just to be living every day and to be around people and to just share good times. It sounds so cheesy, but it's true. That concludes my interview with Tyler and Sam. I'm so grateful for their willingness to talk with me and their openness to talking with me. Obviously, they want to promote their research and and get it out there, especially to individuals in this audience who are leaders in the church, but they're just so sweet and open and sincere. And I hope you picked up on that as well. 
I want to make sure that you know where to go to find more information about their research, to if you want to download their simple infographic, they really made it easy to review with maybe a ward council, a state council, whatever it be. And again, this would just be a great episode to send out to that group of people to say, hey, why don't you all listen to this? Let's discuss later. Obviously, like Tyler said, he's open to connecting via Zoom or in person, wherever it is you're located and uh, making sure that you have this uh, understanding. And I get that there may be some trepidation or hesitancy to invite a former Latter-day Saint individual into that conversation. But really, I mean, Tyler is so, I would have no hesitation in doing that. So, but nonetheless, worst case scenario, you can just listen to share this interview with those in uh, in your, your circle of influence there and have a discussion about it. And then I'll put these links in the show notes, but you can go to lgbtqmormonresearch.com. And that's sort of the the main landing page. If you want to reach out to Tyler or Sam, you can do that through that website. You can download the infographic or just look into more details about the research. So again, it's lgbtqmormonresearch.com. And again, I'll put the link in the show notes. And I also want to squeeze in here the information about the upcoming North Star 2022 conference. It's happening in Salt Lake City, Utah, June 9th through the 11th. Now, you can either attend the full conference or they have specific leadership sessions that are actually free to attend for any church leader. You can find all the information at northstarlds.org. We'll link it to the show notes so you know exactly where to go. But this is a great opportunity to really jump in, seek deeper understanding, and do so in a faith-promoting environment. I highly, highly recommend that all church leaders make time for the North Star Conference. It's happening June 9th through 11th, 2022. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.